everyone. Welcome back to the season two finale of the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And we have some very special guests here with us today for Yay. our season two finale. We have the co-hosts and co-creators of Canadian Politics is Boring. We have Jesse and Reese with us. Hello. Welcome, guys. Hello. Yes, welcome. <clears throat> Thanks for having us on the show. Oh, we're so excited to have you. We're yeah. very, very, I'm excited, very to excited to be here. Yeah. Oh. We have a Heritage Minute virgin with us as well. We oh, yeah. do. We've we never Reese. seen a single one have you, Reese. No, I'm going to pop my Heritage Minute tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's what kids in, in, uh, in Canada have always called it. Yeah, that's <laughs> what we say. Oh, your Heritage Minute. <laughs> We're a very sexy population of people. You know, the first time it's only about a minute, so. (laughs) (laughs) But it's one for the history books. There is. That's so bad. (laughs) So uh, we're actually going to do something unique to the episode today because we have two other uh, hosts here with us today. Uh, Instead of Grace just telling me about the minute, which we're going to assume that I've probably seen at some point, we're actually going to take a minute and go and watch it and then come back because, uh, like we said, Reese has never seen a single one. A single one. Which is wild. Do I need to make notes? You absolutely do not. Okay. okay. It's only a minute. <laughs> oh, the, so, oh, the you know, that's, the, that's the yeah. best part about it. You <laughs> don't really need to write down anything. Yeah. And I, I've i saved... It's one that's, like, special to me and Linnea. Oh, my God. Oh, it's okay. It's, like... I, I hold it so dear because it's so awful. Oh, gosh. We're going to do the gray owl. Oh, my God. Minute. No. <laughs> with, your, with your fellow Brit, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan, yeah. Pierce Brosnan just starring in. Really? Yeah. Absolutely if, not you, a joke. if all of you listeners could just see Reese, Reese's face right now, because <laughs> he just looked shocked that Pierce Brosnan. Is he yeah. a sir? He no. seems like the type of actor that would be a sir. He should he be by now. But, but I don't not. think he is. How many it's, it's, photos of him do you have around your bed? Uh, I, I have to take one down. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, explicit. He hasn't been knighted because of that uh, that poor performance in Mamma Mia. You know, the, the queen can't dance. <laughs> the queen only appreciates people who can sing and dance, and uh, he's not it. Right now, my head is going. Is it Mrs. Doubtfire Pierce Brosnan, or is it 007 Pierce? This Brosnan? is like pre 007. Yeah, or like really? in a minute. So the reason he's in the Heritage Minute is because there was a a film. That was created in Canada, I believe, Ugh, and yeah. then it was edited down to be used as a heritage minute. Oh, and wow. it's honestly a wonder that Pierce Brosnan has a career after, after this, this movie. Particular. Um, <laughs> People uh, say that about pretty much every Canadian film out there. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> this one is yeah. Ooh, oh spicy. no, you made a Canadian film. Oh no, spicy. Oh, no. <laughs> And then he went on to be 007. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe they watched him in this heritage minute and were like, that's that's, that's our man. Yeah. <laughs> that's our guy. So uh, we're gonna, just going to take a minute. We'll be right back. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll take Bye. a minute. Uh, okay. Let's go, a heritage let's go minute. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back. Just got back from watching. Just wanted to join in. The best heritage minute. <laughs> Reese has experienced his uh, first heritage minute. And yes. Reese, tell us, how was it? Uh, it was pretty fast. Um, it's a minute. It's only a minute, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but that was the thing. I was like, oh, cool, great. I settled down to watch a bit of history and then <laughs> by the time I started to form some questions in my head and by the time I was like okay right what is going on here it was the end <laughs> already the end that's how all Canadians have learned about their history yeah. this is it one minute chunks we don't know if, if we've learned something about Canadian history it's through this yeah. so it's essentially yeah. it's, there's no I, I feel quite unsatisfied I felt like I was teased <laughs> so it was that it was to tease people 
into wanting more history. Um, Canadian I, history, very unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I will say that for that particular Heritage Minute in general, I think because they took it from a full-length movie, um, it's not as, it doesn't have as much closure as a typical minute has. Usually they're yeah. kind of like a top-to-end story of something that's happened. Um, I was going to say that like I, when I first saw it, I was like, holy shit, this, oh, can we swear on your podcast? Is that uh, a thing? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Okay. It's preferred. <laughs> when I when I first saw it so many years ago, I was like, "Wow, this has a an immense budget, like just just that massive. one minute, yeah, yeah." I was like, oh, "They threw a lot into this," but that's not it at all. It was just they they made a movie. I guess the movie wasn't released or something, and they it it was released. So it's called the Gray Owl movie, <laughs> starring Pierce Brosnan. People yeah. can go watch it. I don't think it was particularly well received. No. That being said, I Shocker. believe that the CRB Foundation helped to fund, fund it. it, and so they had some kind of like partial claim to it, and they were able to edit it down and use it on public broadcast. Oh, wow. Right. Um, in these heritage minutes, like these these one minute clips, um, which. Like Reese mentioned, this Heritage Minute is particularly chaotic. It has yes. multiple sets. There's a <laughs> bunch of characters that they introduce you to. Yeah. You have actors speaking in particular accents that make it so difficult to understand what they're saying. Like yeah. there's a man on the dock who like yells at him saying that he knows he's not a First Nations and says the infamous line, if he's a Red Indian, then I'm the king of China. Um, but <laughs> the accent that he brilliant. uses is it's like... It's a very it's, thick Scottish accent. Well, it's like right? slightly Scottish, but also a little bit mid-Atlantic. Like, it's like he can't quite make up what kind of accent that he's using. That think, guy I was think, really using his screen time. He was like, I'm yeah. going to make the most of this line. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is my big shot. I think it was a, a Canadian actor doing what he thinks a Scottish person yeah. sounds oh, like. Okay. Right. Okay. That makes more, yeah. So I am curious, because I don't know anything about the story of, of uh, oh my God, what's it, what is it? Red Owl? No. Gray Owl. Gray Owl. I do. I do. Well, pseudonym. It was a, a mute British person. <laughs> <laughs> Who looked a lot like Pierce Brosnan. Right, yeah. I was going to say, Jesse, you are in luck, because that is the premise of our podcast. Oh, Grace is going to educate us on the infamous Gray Owl. Yeah. Infamous, Grace. famous... Inf- yeah, In- I think infamous, infamous is the okay. right word. He's actually very important to Canada's development of a, a national park system. Huh. What? So he's, yeah. for a long time, and at this point in time, he's kind of remembered for his conservation efforts because he was a huge promoter of like protecting the forests and protecting wildlife before that was kind of mainstream. That being said, he was also an Englishman pretending to be um, an Ojibwe man for most of his life. He wrote and published books under the name Grey Owl, and he toured the world pretending to be First Nations. Why? And it wasn't revealed until after his death that he wasn't. Which, like, isn't cool. Which (laughs) we don't promote today. (laughs) We don't suggest that. No, and that's kind of the premise of the... Yeah, so that was kind of that moment where they're um he's in with the the chiefs and they're having that moment where they're like laughing at him because they're like, You're just a little white boy, but like thank you for helping get information yeah. out about so he uh, did First it Nations to help. people. He yeah, I mean he did <laughs> have a genuine sense that yeah. like conservation is good, but also that scene where the chiefs are like yeah, it's like, you are what you dream you are. 
Like wink, that, wink. That's totally a fabrication. Cheek and tongue. Yeah. This is just written for the film. That was just, just to written for the make film. Make you like his character more. Yeah, it's definitely to be like, see, they said it was okay. <laughs> these, so it's fine. These actors we paid to say it was okay said <laughs> yes. it was. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like, so did, did he represent indigenous people in an honorable way, despite the fact it's wrong he was pretending to do it, or was it. Um, was it an act? Was it like a stage show or something? Or what, what, how did he do it? So what I knew about Grey Owl going <clears throat> into this, because I had learned about him in a Canadian history class, is that he he helped to form national parks. He promoted conservation before it was mainstream, and he was a huge drunk. So yes. like, wow. those are welcome, in the heritage welcome like, to <laughs> Canadian history, folks. <laughs> they were all drunk, raging perhaps alcoholic. So perhaps that's why he didn't talk because he was <laughs> right. He just, just vomit plastered. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, thank you for telling me that. It's great. I like yes. Cheers. Central yeah. <laughs> 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 parks. Have you ever considered that the trees are our friends? <laughs> they're so, all our friends. They're our buddies. I like hugging trees. <laughs> I love beavers. Beavers are great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's just so the How I, I'm really intrigued. Like I'm sure he's from like a really boring part of the UK. Well, I mean, let's find out. Shall yeah, we yeah, dive into it. his whole life yeah, yeah, story? Yeah. Don't steal her thunder. Reese. No, no, no. I'm this excited. is not. No, absolutely not. That is a perfect segue. Yeah. Perfect segue. You can tell me if this is a boring part of England. Okay. It's if you have any quotes directly from him, can you read them as in the drunkest voice possible? Oh, she definitely will. <laughs> this is how we do. This I, is how we do it here. Great. Minute okay. Women podcast is like part history, part me really trying to do accents yeah. and excellently failing every yeah. single time. I'm very happy to hear this. this is All right. <laughs> so his real name is Archie Bellini, which they. Archie. Briefly say in the episode. Um, but Archie Bellini was born on September 18th, 1888. He was raised by his two aunts, Janie and Julia, in the town of Hastings on the English Channel. Is that a boring part of England? Yeah. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose no, it's a pretty part of England, but it's kind of like a seaside. Kind of, no, Hastings is just off the coast, pretty quiet country village. Quiet, remote. Yeah. Okay. You know, church, probably like. People riding bikes, red phone boxes, that children kind of thing. being raised by their aunts. Yeah, children. Yeah, you know, you know, everyone's being raised by their aunts. <laughs> Every, Even everyone their aunts. in the town of Hastings <laughs> is raised by their aunts. Okay. Um, I just don't. Yeah, n- certainly nothing like the kind of world he was pretending to be part of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Freshly baked bread, you know, that kind of thing. Pies in the window. Steam engines. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Not a lot of wild hunts on the plains. No, no buffalo. No, no, no. buffalo. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> so in regards to his background, um, Archie's grandparents were both Scottish. Uh, his grandfather was a Scottish-born merchant and shipbroker, and they come from a pretty wealthy socialite family uh, from Yorkshire. And had only and they only had one son. So Archie's father is the only son of this pretty wealthy family. Archie's father's name was George, and he was endowed with all the lavish attention and revenue of his mother after the death of his father, and he received an expensive education. With his mother's help, he began a business in London in tea and coffee that soon failed, and then, (laughs) you know, you know, (laughs) you can fail selling tea. (laughs) Right. It's like, how did you mess this up? (laughs) It's like Trump with his casinos. Well, and I was going to say, machine. they're in England. How do you screw up selling tea in England? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you have the picky. best market for that product. <laughs> so after his business fails, he decides that he's going to go on a really costly big game expedition to South Africa. 
Okay. Okay. As a rich As white do. guy does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> fail at selling tea. You go hunt things to yeah, just to feel better. To That's feel just, better. Yeah. Yeah. I really need to fill the void that tea left in my life. <laughs> that, that was I a, think I need to kill a lion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like a Victorian gap year. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I'll be back in a year. I just, I really just need to like find myself <laughs> and some elephant tusks. <laughs> and some elephant tusks. <laughs> Expect ivory. <laughs> oh, got to get a new keyboard for the piano. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ebony and ivory, that's my son. <laughs> Upon his return, he departed for the United States quite quickly to invest in an orange grove plantation. So what? Tea, tea and coffee doesn't work out. So he's going to be like, you know what the next big thing is? Oranges. <laughs> citrus. <laughs> big citrus. Big citrus guy. Wow, was this like California or? So it's Florida. So oh, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to Florida. His investment fails again. Of uh, course. Because up till this point, we have no evidence that he's actually a good businessman. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm sensing why he might have eventually become a drunk. Just <laughs> so this is just his so this daddy. is just his dad. This is just this our is just so dad. you know Archie might have become oh, really? a drunk because of the daddy issues, but uh, it's oh, wow. daddy who oh, can't I, keep a business. I totally afloat. missed that. Like I missed that. Yeah. that it was about. I thought this was Archie. I'm like no. Archie's led a full life. <laughs> no. no, this I do is Archie's love the dad. idea of okay. transitioning from big game hunter to conservationist. <laughs> <Right, yeah. laughs> exactly. Maybe the conservationist thing is just a rejection of his father. Yeah, like, I'm not my dad, and so he's like, I'm gonna save trees. This is the second time we've we've talked about a uh, famous person's father being an unsuccessful merchant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny McDonald's Johnny McDonald's. Oh, trust us, we know. Do you know about his brother? Johnny McDonald's brother? Oh, go Brutal listen to episode murdered. one. Ronald. <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> oh, that's a joke. <laughs> a successful restaurateur. <laughs> Sorry, there's a terrible uh, oh, joke. Oh, that's the British humor I've heard about. <laughs> it's, too, it's too dry, too dry. <laughs> Oh, there's nothing better than someone pointing out the fact that you just made a joke and then saying it's funny. Oh, that was funny. That has humor. I recognize humor. Please. I, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of it. Please email Canadian Politics yeah, yeah, yeah. is Boring if, if you, you think that Reese's joke was funny. We'll get, Jesse had one. We'll get more. <laughs> so, yes, John A. McDonald has a yeah failing father. And, uh, and so yeah. does Archie. So does Archie. Archie's not even born yet, and his dad's doing all this stuff. He's right? adventurous, though. He is adventurous. Yeah, he's not that. afraid yeah. of finding a new country to fail in. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he's one of those, like, rich kid entrepreneurs who's yeah. got the money just to keep... So industrious. Exactly. So industrious. If he was alive today, he'd have a big Instagram following and would have founded, like, three failed apps. Right? Hey, guys. <laughs> just bought yeah. another orange plantation. Yeah, yeah. I'm about to start a live stream. <laughs> So I want, I want to know what happened with his, his orange plantation. Is it a plantation, an orange plantation? It's called an orange grove plantation, and the investment fails again. Okay. So George goes back to Britain, this time with his wife. So he marries a woman in Florida. An Her, American. Uh, I don't know if she was American or if she just happened to be in America. She just happened to be around. Uh, her name is Kitty. Oh. And oh, that's a cute name. She was pregnant, and she was half his age. She Which is was a, pregnant when he met her? No, I think he okay. got her pregnant. Okay, that's a big difference. Yeah, that's and a very yeah. big difference. You did not word that correctly. <laughs> and no. and she's half his age by the oh, time they go back. Of course she is. Well, well, that's pretty standard for yeah. the 1800s. Yeah. Rich boys starting yeah. orange plantations. <laughs> so Kitty... There are boring places to be, mind. You've got to pass the time. So. <laughs> Knocking down oranges, knocking up girls. <laughs> There you go. That could have been a slogan. Yeah. 
<laughs> Should have been. Maybe that's hey, one of mom, I'm you. back, <laughs> and I brought this broad with me. She's half my age, and I knocked her up. Are Did you, you bring anything? Up top, I hope mom. you like oranges. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a choice. <laughs> So Kitty gave birth to Archie soon after they arrived in Hastings, um, where Julia and her two unmarried daughters had recently moved from London. So those are his aunts. They'd recently moved there from London. So many aunts. So many aunts. So many aunts. (laughs) By this time, George's alcoholism had sharply reduced the family's fortune. So daddy's a drunk, too. Uh, You know. Great. As you do. As do. He still refused to settle down, so he's still just like, I gotta make my money somewhere. I've gotta go. I gotta kick the dust of this crummy little town off my feet. Do it. <laughs> Don't start another business. And two years later, he abandoned Kitty, uh, who uh. had just born their second son. Oh. oh. George would eventually travel to North America, where he apparently died around 1910, but we don't know the circumstances. Oh, no. Oh, she I'm just went really to North America and died. Dad just went and died, yeah. <laughs> just just st- st- like took a one step off the boat and just I have, my, I have my ticket yeah. for the steamship. I won't be back. <laughs> <laughs> a fortune teller told me my death will occur yeah. as soon as I get off. Don't He's stay like, up. George, <laughs> George, when are you going to be back? No, bye. <laughs> no, bye. <laughs> Is that is it like lost in the sands of time? It's just kind of like the exact time and circumstances are just kind of unknown. Yeah. You could make it up and we'd believe you. How do I want him to die? There you go. Probably like a buffalo killed him or something. Right. It's like this as is soon for as my he brother. Stepped off the steamship. Yeah. Like just yeah. <laughs> as soon as he steps off the onto the pier of Halifax, a buffalo Boom. ran over him. <laughs> Freak accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From his new when did you say he when did you say he got start, yeah. to Halifax or he didn't come to Halifax so it's a, like so he, say could have been the explosion you could really tie this all in yeah I could really tie it up he died in nineteen ten he dies in nineteen ten uh, yeah, so that's well, a good seven years early we're early yeah. yeah I can't give you more answers I apologize it was a pretty big explosion I'm failing at my job <laughs> it, it could have killed people in the past yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it traveled through time so if you go fast <laughs> exactly. that is. So going to be the plot of some like smut book written in Halifax. <laughs> it's like uh, the Halifax explosion blows someone through time. That's how big the explosion was, and then they fall in love in the future. It's just like really trying to like take advantage of the outer <laughs> land like market. Oh I'm still stuck on blows you through time. It's yeah, because like you said time a traveler's novel, wife. And yeah. I was like, what? Hold on, that's that's got some real dirty connotations there. Eyebrows, eyebrows, eyebrows. Blow me through time, baby. <laughs> My mom's definitely not listening to this one. <laughs> I straight up asked my mother to not listen to specific podcasts, oh, and she no. ignores me. Completely. My parents listen to every episode, and every yeah, time there's like, too. you know, they love it mostly. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. They don't like when I call them out, though. I'll call them out on stuff, and he's like, my dad's like, I feel betrayed. <laughs> How dare uh, you tell them my secrets? Big shout out to, to Mitch McNutt. Mitch McNutt, my father. Hello. Hello, Mitch. He's a great, yeah. great guy. Great oh, guy. Such a great guy. Much better than Archie's dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very present in my life. <laughs> Has he ever owned an orange plantation? Not that I'm aware okay. of. Uh, no, he grew up near Truro. I don't think they grow oranges there. I don't think so. No. Anyways. So after their ne'er-do-well brother is gone, so they don't know what happened to him, um, Ada and Carrie had intervened and taken Archie with them. So the aunts, they're like... From his mom? So, yeah, it's so the mom has three kids that we know of, and these 
two sisters are like, we'll take care of our brother's son, I guess. Where did, oh, wow. Ki- where did Kitty go? Uh, oh, yeah. Who's to say? I guess she's just like... <laughs> she's just like, we're sorry, Kitty. We've decided you're not good enough for your t- own children. <laughs> My logical guess would be that as an abandoned single mother with two children, she Aye. may have only been able to take care of one of them. Yeah. yeah that's, not to that's bring fake. down the tone of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But that would be my guess. Or she's just a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? I like going with the terrible person route. That's always fun. Let's it's, do it. Yeah, Let's makes, do. Me, makes me feel less bad about what I said. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm just here to guilt trip you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> she was an awful mother. That's it. <laughs> it's on your entire Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Reese looked up one thing in advance of this episode. <laughs> I know for a fact. <laughs> I know for a fact that his mom was a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So Ada ran a very strict household. Uh, She taught Archie first at home, so like homeschooling, instilling him with a lifelong love of literature and music. The stern, formal woman stressed obedience and excellence just as she did with the collies that she bred. So that's always a good comparison. (laughs) I'll raise this boy like a dog. And then everything will be fine. The dogs turned out fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. He's really learning to sit very well. She takes him for walks every day. He can jump through a hoop. Archie raises his leg to pee. He's like, what? (laughs) It's all I know. Clean up after your child. (laughs) After three years in a small church school, Archie entered the Hastings Grammar School at the age of 11 in 1899. Even as a young boy, his passions were of North American indigenous peoples and wildlife. Ada, to her credit, understood the importance of the natural world to him and allowed him to keep his rabbits, snakes, and mice on the top floor of their home. How kind. <laughs> what a generous aunt. Right. <clears throat> she filled his water dish every day. Yeah. So he was in the attic. So that's where he keeps his little menagerie. Is, this has got to be in the film, like a little boy in the attic with his animals. When, right? when I heard the, that he was raised by his two haunts, I could only picture James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. Like this I haven't actually seen that or read it. it the movie is excellent. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, the book yeah. is also very sweet. So with his books on indigenous peoples, his menagerie, and his solitary walks to look for plants and animals, the lonely boy lived in a dream world of his own making. Creatively, he invented two fictional parents. To explain the absence of his parents, he developed the story that his father was a Western plainsman and his mother was a Native American. Oh. So oh, wow. even oh, wow. as a young child, he's like, I am indigenous and my parents are indigenous. So it's kind of and like, that's why they're not here. So, <laughs> do you know, what? I got a lot more sympathy knowing that it wasn't like a, a cynical thing where he's like, there's a gap in the market here. He's like in his 20s going, hey, there's a gap in the market. If, no, I, yeah. You know, there's an act that no one's doing that I could do. Uh, this he is definitely like, has a genuine interest in their culture. Yeah. It's just like taking it really, really far. And it's like a coping yeah. mechanism. He's creating... A, a reality that he can that he, he can deal with that yeah. helps right. him deal with the situation he's in, and that's where it, and then one thing leads to another, and before you know it, you're <laughs> living a life. That you're is living a lie. Now, now that brings the, begs the question: Did he start to believe his own lie? Like, yeah, he might genuinely have believed it at that right? point. And it's probably also just the sense of like, well, I'm doing everything that they do, so that's good enough. Like, who's who can tell me otherwise? Also, I do I do worry about. If he was reading books at the time, like that were maybe sociology books or whatever mm. about, like my dad had these textbooks from when he was a kid, and I think they were printed in the fifties, 
and even then, like the racism that was in those kind of books about other cultures. Oh yeah, oh. this is like early <clears throat> eugenics times. Ex- yeah, this yeah. Is like, exactly. This so. is like near turn of the century. So I'm sure the books he was reading, a lot of them. So indigenous peoples appear a lot in like exotic travel magazines and like exotic travel books. Oh, yeah. Right, of course, um, yeah. So Archie's in school and he's good at English and he's good at religious studies, but he like sucks at everything else. He's like not good at math or anything, okay. which we can relate to. Yeah. Yes, this is not a math not podcast. A math podcast. Thank God. And then, so Ada's like, okay, because you suck at school, you're allowed <laughs> You're allowed to not go. Oh. He's like, wow. you're bad at Please it. Please tell so me you this, don't is have to go anymore. this is verbatim. <laughs> this is an exact, oh, you love, you don't have to go to school no more. Was that good? You can just say, I'm be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just play with your mice. <laughs> Back in your box. <laughs> <laughs> so at 15, he starts working in a lumber yard. So he continues to love North American indigenous cultures, and he grew so infatuated that he decides that he's just going to up and move to Canada and live with them in the forest. Fucking right. <laughs> he decides that independently without contacting anybody. So he, so he quits his job at the lumber yard. Yeah, he goes, bye, I'm it's not like going to cut down trees anymore. It's like a little uh, Chris McCandless, Alexander Supertramp, Into the Wild. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I know Into the Wild. Oh, I yeah, no, yeah. I yeah. hated that Does he that die movie. in a bus? Do we not read? He pretty much dies on a bus. Yeah, I know, I know it's a book but too, rabbits. but yeah, the movie is particularly frustrating. The movie is exceptionally, well, actually, anyway. The whole premise. The whole premise of the book and the movie are just trash. I'm John Krakauer, like, write your own stories about your own experiences. Oh, wait, you did. We're calling you out. See how that went. You've yeah, crack hour. I've lost as well. Yeah. It's, it's okay. fine. This is for crack hour. He knows us. Yeah. Crack He's, hour? He, we have beef. Is there a podcast called Crack Hour? Crack there hour. should be. We're being this a little we're being hour. a little facetious. John Crack Hour wrote Into the Wild. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. But he should have a podcast and it should be called Crack yeah, what's Hour. What's new in crack this week? <laughs> what's the crack? <laughs> so he's 17 years old. He's sailing to North America. He sails to Halifax and he arrives in March of 1906. Oh. Oh, not 1778. I hope the explosion doesn't kill him a few years earlier. (laughs) (laughs) It's long through time. (laughs) And from there he moves to Toronto. So oh. he's he's off to a great start for living in the forest. He's yeah. like, I'm going to go to two, the, uh, yeah, the two, the two metro, cities. Yeah, the, the only two cities. Halifax, <laughs> Toronto. No. I'm really up, living it. Camped out in the public gardens in Halifax. <laughs> <laughs> Under a tree. He's like, I've been living in a gazebo for months. <laughs> So he's in Toronto and he's working there to save money um, to continue his northern journey. Okay. He then takes a train to Quebec and then he's like near the Ottawa River. And he's, then a few months later, he goes further west to Lake Tamagami, which was the home of a small Ojibwe community, which were the Teme, Agama, and Nishinabe. Doing my best. Great job, Grace. Bravo. Also That's known as the deep water people. The deep water people. <laughs> the much deep water easier. People. The deep water people. So John Egwana and his family welcomed the curious young Englishman into their home. So they're like, oh. this white dude showed up at our doorstep, so we'll take him into our house. <laughs> if we don't let him in and feed him, he might die. I imagine it was like <laughs> If he dies, that'll be so much more trouble for us. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we better feed him. <laughs> like, we have to keep him alive. 
So John had a niece named Angèle, and she taught Archie their language and gave him lessons in canoeing and trapping. And in 1910, he married Angèle in a Christian ceremony. Of course he did. But only a year later, he behaved exactly like his father had and abandoned her with, oh, their, wow. with their infant daughter, Agnes. <gasps> wow. <laughs> he just bailed. Right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Archie sucks. <laughs> I'm glad you find this as funny as you do. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, patterns. Like father, like son. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I imagine, though, that if he cynically maybe was like, I, I just need to learn enough so I can get out and then tour the world oh, authentically. As, I don't even know what he, he was He needed thinking. to learn how to, like, bang a lady on the reservation to be able to, like, move on with his life. He had to father a child. It's, it's an important step in, in growing into a man. Yeah, yeah, to be a man is to get married and abandon your Ma- new wife yeah. and her and, and the baby. And the baby yeah. So <laughs> glad I'm just a woman. <laughs> just to play Sounds devil. really hard. I want to play devil's advocate, though, for Archie, because maybe he'd just forgotten to feed his pets in the attic <laughs> and he remembered five years later. Oh, my God, the mice. <laughs> Epic battle between mice and a snake going on in an, in an attic for years. Somewhere. <laughs> At- snake at my aunt. <laughs> they go back and it's just like Ada goes upstairs and she's like, the snake's run the house. Exactly. <laughs> it's their house now. Exactly. <laughs> so in the spring of 1912, Archie appeared in the tiny lumbering town of Biscotasing, also known as Bisco, some 100 miles west of Tamagami on the Pacific uh, Canadian Pacific Railway between Sudbury and Chaplow. Okay. He's popping up. In the village, he became well-known for his skill with knife throwing, oh. his expert piano playing what? at dances. Hold on, what? And his heavy <laughs> drinking. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, hold on. Item number so, one, <clears throat> knife throwing. Knife throwing. Item, Item number, number two, two, expert piano playing. Number Item three. number three, heavy drinking. So uh, he, I just like that you, you stated he was well known for this. <laughs> this is right? what like, he's known for. Archie, oh yeah, Archie. No, he's great. You should see him. His knife throwing, his <laughs> piano playing is amazing. And my God, can that man drink? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should see him when he does all three at the same time. <laughs> I was going to say, welcome to uh, welcome to rural parts of Canada where those are three excellent trades to have. Right? He, he downs a, a, a gallon of rum and then he plays yeah. the piano by throwing knives at the keys. Yeah. Imagine that dating profile. It's just like, I'm good at knife throwing, piano playing, and I drink a lot. I can drink you under the table. I can drink you under the table. I'll go anywhere as long as you buy the first round. Yeah. So to, to support himself and his, his bustling hobbies, bustling. <laughs> he worked in the summer as a forest ranger and a guide, and then he trapped during the winter. Okay. By this point, he had lost his English accent, and if asked, he would repeat his well-polished tale that he was the son of a Scots frontierman and an Apache woman. So now he has like a new background story. Right. He's crafted his own origin story like a superhero. Multiple times, yep. though. Yeah, like, yeah. he can't commit. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> Having left his legal... I and mean, we've already seen that with the, with the, his wife and child, so... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of her, uh, having left his legal wife, he entered into a relationship with Marie G- Girard. Girard? Oh, no, we got French names on the go. Girard? I think it's pronounced Girard. Uh, potentially, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know idea. <laughs> 
I can email my friends. I would say, I would say <laughs> connection. Yeah. Gerard. Gerard, probably. Marie Gerard, uh, who was a Métis woman in Bisco. Wife number two of? I'm going to say that there's many wives. <laughs> yeah, you've got good instincts, Oh, too. do I? Okay, good. <laughs> this podcast. Serial Maria. <laughs> His piano playing's amazing. His knife throwing's off the chart, and look at his amount of wives. He's a, <laughs> it's amazing. Wife collector. Wife collector. <laughs> Wife collector. Oh my god. So they didn't get married, but they were Halloween. in a serious relationship. Um, they did wind up separating early in the winter of 1914-15, when he apparently did not know that she was pregnant. So he gets her pregnant. Oh my god. And right. Leaves. Yeah, he did not know. I bet he didn't. She, Classic. She <laughs> dies of tuberculosis. <laughs> she died of tuberculosis. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after giving birth to their son, John, no. in the fall of 1915. Yeah, we've talked about tuberculosis a couple times. My great-grandpa had tuberculosis. TB. It'll it was get very you. fashionable at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'd look great if you had TB. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's true. Well, you'd you be great? very thin, and you'd be the, very, like, yeah. The, the very, like, Victorian like, sense thin. of beauty is, like, to be super pale. And yeah. so they, like, it was uh, fashionable. So they have TB parties to, like... <laughs> I hope my kids get it. <laughs> Your kids One got TV? Mouth to feed, bring them yeah. round, bring them round. Yeah, cough up my kid, cough up my kid. It's like my third birthday party. I had the chicken pox and my mom invited all the kids in town who hadn't had it yet. Oh my God. She was like, what oh, fun party. Mitchell hasn't had chicken pox. Bring him down, bring him down. Oh my God. Cough on my chubby child. <laughs> My chubby, not pale child. Not pale enough child. Rosy-cheeked child. (laughs) He looks way too healthy. Exactly. So Canada had entered the First World War in early August 1914, and Archie had enlisted, but not immediately and not in northern Ontario. Instead, he signed up the following May in Digby, Nova Scotia. Oh, he's back back in Digby. This man just pops up. Because they're like he'll just like sign up for like some kind of legal document, and you're like, oh, I guess he's here now. He's Dig- just a drifter yeah. in Digby, Digby, Nova Scotia. I mean, it's Nova the Scotia. place to be in 1914. It's, yeah, yeah. It rhymes, know. so it must be. I true. don't think Digby, <laughs> Nova Scotia, has ever been the place to be. It is if you uh, like scallops. 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 Yeah, thank you I for correcting so yourself. Much. Oh my god. <laughs> Devil food. The devil food. How dare you? I have a hard time pronouncing it. It's just scallop. Stop it. (laughs) Jesse is visibly uncomfortable. I hate the food so much. It's it's like I would. Why? If if I could punch a scallop, I would. It's just you can. You can. I can't. No Buy one. Do you want? If I had known, I I would have. I could. I I would have brought some scallops for for you to to punch. punch. Yeah. (laughs) Jesse's skills. Podcasting. Scallop punching. Only and specifically scallops. Excessive drinking. (laughs) Heavy drinker. If if only those scallops weren't hypothetical, then I could punch them. (laughs) (laughs) We had one reviewer say that he hated our podcast so much he wanted to punch it. Oh, yeah, you posted that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we read it. I like that idea, though. Yeah, what what was our podcast called? Our podcast called? Yeah, and I that think it's review. called Minute Women? No. <laughs> what did that lady uh, say that our podcast was? A useless... Oh, uh, yeah. Of the It of was the like the a ether? profound waste of space. Yeah. A profound waste it's of space on the ether? On the, in oh, the ether. wow. Yeah. Yeah. In the ether, That's poetic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, we had one just dumb and bad. <laughs> <laughs> so... Really eloquent. You want to make a t-shirt? Oh, I left that, that one. Really that was me. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to email it in. But... So 
So we signed it up for the First World War because, you know, he's clearly been making good decisions up until this point. Right. Uh, well, I heard on the front they really need knife throwers and piano blades. <laughs> his first military order was to get his hair cut. Oh. His oh, hair at nice. this point yeah. hung down to his shoulders. Uh, when asked upon his enlistment if he had had any previous military experience, he said he had in Mexican Scouts 28th Dragoons, which I'm pretty sure is a lie because he has like no military experience. Okay. Right. Had he even been to Mexico? <laughs> I don't know. Although, up to not. this point, he's developed skills out of the blue, apparently, right? Like <laughs> for just, knife throwing. He's like, you know, yeah, chained in an attic for the most of his childhood, and then suddenly he's a knife throwing <laughs> piano player, an expert drinker. Like, I don't think he learned all that in his attic. I just. <laughs> Crazy things happen in the woods. <laughs> you never know when you're just going to stumble he across makes, a baby grand. Yeah, he, may, he, he saves up all this money to, to ent, like pay his entrance fee into the woods. He goes into the woods where there is just a pile of knives and a piano. And a piano. Yeah, and that's where he's, he's, he spends a good portion of his, yeah. Oh, my God. This is why I wasn't a history teacher. <laughs> this is the only reason. The only reason. <laughs> the, only reason. <laughs> the only thing standing they in his way. failed the criminal check. <laughs> I punched too many scallops. <laughs> punched too many scallops. <laughs> and the drinking. Exactly. <laughs> At the front, Archie was an excellent shot, served as sniper, and he did this until he had a serious injury in his right foot, which took him mm. out of the war in April 1916. A little please, pansy. Please, oh, Lost a toe, I bet. Now, when I hear foot injury... <laughs> did he drop a knife? <laughs> <laughs> or a well, piano? Well, I think you shoot yourself in the foot. That's what I assume. Whenever there's a serious foot injury, it's always some dude shooting themselves in the foot. However... Maybe they realized that he was like flat footed or something because my uncle wasn't allowed or my grandfather wasn't allowed in the in the Navy because he was flat footed. And you like, wow, couldn't really? march. Oh, yeah. That was like a way people like got out of going to war. If you or, were but he was super bummed about it. Or yeah, it super bummed. It could have been trench foot. Ew. Potentially trench foot. It says, yeah. A, yeah, it says a serious injury. Trench foot is also up there, I guess. It's like athlete's yeah. foot, but worse. But way worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he's hospitalized in England, and by chance, he spent some time at a military hospital in Hastings. He got in touch with his two aunts. They, in turn, contacted Ivy Holmes, the daughter of a good friend of theirs and a boyhood acquaintance of Archie's. Ivy was an attractive, outgoing woman who had become a professional dancer. She and her troupe had performed throughout Europe before the war. With his aunt and Ivy, Archie reverted to his English accent, did not drink, and, of course, made no reference to his marriage in Tamagami. Oh, my God. <laughs> there, two, and two, two children. children yeah. And two children. Three children, I think. <laughs> no, two. 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 I so, lost count. So, so, <laughs> so did he. He just instantly snapped back to being British. He's like, yeah. oh, blimey, I've had a funny thing. <laughs> 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 so Ivy enjoys Archie's company. He's a wonderful storyteller, and they fall in love. And with his aunt's thing, Archie does frequently. Yeah, you know. Right. Uh, with his aunt's blessing, they get married on uh, in February of 1917. Ivy accepted Archie's plan of a life together in the Canadian forest, and the couple decided that Archie would go ahead, and then gal. she would follow him to the new world. Uh, while the because while the war is going on, um, wives are not allowed to travel with oh. soldiers. Interesting. Yeah, so they have to wait until the war is over. They could have sex or something. 
Who's to say? Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. (laughs) So he sails on the 19th of September, 1917, and Ivy never saw him again. (laughs) Oh, my God. Did he, like, say, I'll send you a map? I'm sure. (laughs) Where to find me? Please tell me she was pregnant. (laughs) I don't think she's pregnant. Uh, So, Is this wife number three or four? Four. This is wife number two. This is official wife number two. Official wife number two. The other one wasn't. But he got some lady pregnant, and then she died of TB. Serious relationship number three. Serious relationship number three for Archie. Yeah. Instead, Archie returned to Bisco. He was overwhelmed by the horrors of war. He had witnessed inconceivable slaughter at the front, and his injury, which never fully he never fully recovered from, was a constant reminder of the conflict. Following his return from service in the First World War, Archie's use of alcohol increased, and it was not unusual for him to appear drunk in public. Which is <laughs> such a low bar. <laughs> Alcoholism. <laughs> like, he was drunk in public sometimes. Wow. <laughs> Just walking around. <laughs> Just out. In the daylight. In the, day- in the daylight. In the sight, like the light of God and the community. <laughs> On a Sunday. On a Sunday, for that matter. Moreover, his personal life was still a total mess. He made no call to Ivy to join him in Canada, and he finally told her about his previous marriage. She obtained a divorce on in 1922 girl, get it. on the grounds of bigamy. Yeah. <laughs> Although he had visited Angèle shortly after his return to Canada in 1917, he soon decided to not remain with her. So that's the first wife. He goes back and visits her. Of course. <laughs> in Bisco, he learned about his son, uh, John Girard, who came home from Chapleau Indian Residential School in the summer. The boy did not know who his father was, however. So this is like the first time he's ever meeting his wife. Really. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been at a residential school and now I'm meeting the dad that was never around. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's the worst year. Yeah. Just the fun worst times summer. all around, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Edith Langevin, a native woman who was John's guardian, did not tell him until Archie had moved away. So he's like meeting Archie. But no one's telling him that that's his dad. Archie's probably wasted it and like, hey, I'm your dad. And the kid's like, okay. Yeah, sure. But also he's like pulling any kid. He's like, hey, I'm your dad. Which any is like, kid he finds. Just, we just want to introduce it to this man. Why? Oh, no reason. <laughs> just to show you a bad influence. Exactly. Just to show that you dodged a bullet, kid. So the only thing that kept uh, Archie together during this time was his friendship with the Espanols, uh, an Ojibwe family. And so, alcohol. <laughs> I don't know if that's keeping him together <laughs> or promoting the opposite, but, you know. He stayed with them, he perfected the Ojibwe language, and he learned more about their way of life. He was finally doing what he had set so out hold, to sorry, do at the sorry, age of on. 17. He perfected the Ojibwe language? He, he's perfecting their language, yeah. Like, his use of it or their language? Like their he, language, He yeah. perfected. So he's learning to speak it fluently. She's saying that he, she, he perfected, like, he, he's yeah. using it. Like, if yeah. I perfected French, it would be like, I'm perfecting my usage of French. Right, yeah. not yeah. the language itself. He's not changing <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, that would be a very British thing to do. <laughs> he's like, so I've listened to your proposal, and I have a few recommendations. <laughs> 
let's just work from the ground up. <laughs> so he's gaining a new appreciation for the northern forest. Um, but Archie isn't like a brand new man. In 1925, Archie left Bisco and returned to Lake Tamagi to Angel. She had last seen him two years earlier when she was quite ill. <laughs> when she he bailed. <laughs> he bails on her when she's quite ill. He was like, see ya. <laughs> Bye. It's like, I don't know if I can deal with this right now. <laughs> I've got a lot on my plate. No, no, you promised whenever you quoted him. <laughs> I got a lot on my plate. <laughs> I got a lot on my plate, love. <laughs> I've seen the auras of war. <laughs> It's like Johnny Depp is Jack yeah, Sparrow. Yeah, say, like Jack Sparrow. That's how I oh picture him. Oh my gosh! Yes, he just that's like what they should have cast. Oh yeah. Get Pierce Brosnan out of here. We need but Johnny not just Depp. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp as Jack as Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. Like, I want as Grail. Yeah, I want Jack Sparrow as Grail. <laughs> well, that would be. Um, who, who, was he for, who was he mimicking when he was Jack Sparrow? Keith Richards? Yeah, Keith Richards. So yeah. It's, and it's, it was two actually. It was Keith Richards combined with Pepe Le Pew. True. <laughs> so it's Johnny Depp as Keith Richards combined with Pepe Le Pew as Jack Sparrow as, as Grail. I want to take as I, Archie I, Bellini as Grail. I can like <laughs> so probably do this. I want to take the Heritage Minute of Grail and replace Brosnan with not Johnny Depp, but with Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. <laughs> he doesn't have to say anything because he doesn't say anything. He just <laughs> right. So it's Jack Sparrow being like Bob's and Weaves. <laughs> You just do one of those deep fakes. For those of you <laughs> listening, oh, yeah. For those of you oh. listening who can't see, we are all doing our best Jack Sparrow walk right now. Love. We should go back through Where's all the heritage the minutes, doing deep fakes, replacing the faces. Oh, that's funny. With our ideal cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All with Jack Sparrow. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ideal cast. Well, I laid yeah. these baskets back. <laughs> Imagine Laura Secord <laughs> running through the woods. <laughs> Do you smell burnt toast, love? Hey, both of you know I can't read the words. Is this normal? <laughs> These are horrible Jack Sparrow impressions. <laughs> Please email the Minute Women podcast to tell us how terrible our Jack Sparrow impressions are. Uh-huh. All right, so moving on. So, yeah, he goes back to see Angel. Uh, he doesn't stay long. But she does give birth to their their uh, no. second child, Flora. So in he uh, his third child. knocks her up. So he stuck around just long enough. So he now has months. three kids. And she fell for him again. Yes. Oh, God. I know. It's yeah. kind of fell sad. into bed. <laughs> <laughs> Girls gotta eat. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry, Angel. And he looks just like Johnny Depp. So like, who can blame her? Really? Right? She's, She's only human. Uncanny. Yeah. She's only human. <laughs> So a chance meeting in the late summer of 1925 with Gertrude Bernard led Archie to propose that they spend a winter trapping together in the Abitibi region of Quebec. So Gertrude was of Algonquin and Mohawk descent. She grew up a strongly independent young woman and was described by some as a tomboy. Her friends nicknamed her Pony. Ooh. So now it's Jack Sparrow and like Pony Boy from Pony yeah. Girl <laughs> from the outside. Stay Silver. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Because women are less than men. Ooh. <laughs> womp, womp. That's not where I was taking that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she's 19. Uh, uh, and Archie's 37 at this point in the story. Wow. Oh, yeah. L- literally double her age. Yes. 
Yes. So this look, though, this guy knows math. Yeah, well, that was pretty quick. Yeah, no, it, it was, was actually literally double. It was almost almost, almost so quite. literally. So I don't do maths as I would. Well, say. Uh, <laughs> not to worry because <laughs> I this only is know not, one math. Yeah, and, and it's no, bad. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> See, my my kids say math now because we moved to Canada, uh, yeah. and I go, yeah, maths. <laughs> and sometimes like, they'll say math, and I just go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not to worry. This is not a maths podcast. So <laughs> Reese is just really inspired by the snakes that we heard earlier. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like the turning point of Archie's life is meeting Gertrude. So he's like actually in love with her. Um, okay. He he demonstrates this by changing her name. He calls her Anahorio. <laughs> Why? Anahorio. 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 She had been raised in the town of Mattawa, Ontario, east of North Bay, not in the bush, so not as in like the forest. Right. Archie On was the, the roads. one. <laughs> <laughs> Archie's the one who taught her how to survive in the forest. That I'm, winter, however, I'm a piano playing. <laughs> <laughs> After we do our piano lessons, <laughs> sweetheart, uh, I'm gonna teach you how to throw a knife and live in the woods. That winter, however, he had great difficulty in locating enough fur-bearing animals to make a living. In particular, he found a tremendous decline in the number of beaver, the result of an influx of trappers from other areas. Um, and so Ontario was having to ban non-native peoples from running trap lines. Yeah. Archie wrote that it was Anaharia's influence that led him to think more deeply about conservation and that she encouraged his writing. After accompanying him on a trap line, Anaharia attempted to make him see the torture that animals suffered when they were caught in traps. He hunted down a beaver home where he knew a mother beaver would be and set a trap for her. When the trap caught the mother beaver, Archie began to canoe away to the cries of the kitten beavers, which greatly resembled the sound of human infants. Oh, my God. That's what they say. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so It sounds like... No, 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 no. You guys no. have no idea. So, I... Oh, we don't. No. <laughs> so, my, my dad uh, snares rabbits, and rabbits scream like little babies, oh and you hear them. It's like... They scream bloody murder. You hear them squealing. It's horrible um, because traps don't kill animals. Um, so you then go and then you look down at it and you're like, meet your maker, little buddy. And then you usually kill <laughs> do you it. Have I to love your say dad. That before yes, you do that. We're in Canada now. Small animals. <laughs> <And> this <laughs> is what you have to say. You have to be a man about it. I love that your dad is casually telling you this. It's like, oh yeah, Grace. I went. I used to go Why? as a child on the back of the four wheeler. Because what was my dad gonna do with me? I grew up in rural Nova Scotia. <laughs> What a, what a fun family activity. He stole, he stole uh, one of the green containers from Sobeys, and uh, he would strap me in it with, like, my baby stuff and take me what? to go rabbit snaring in the woods. Oh, God. Skinning a rabbit, easiest thing you'll ever do. I don't Comes know if that's off like true. I don't think that's, that's true. true. I, I, oh my god! I I'm learning so much about you right now. <laughs> Mark, Mark is like, and Mark's like he's meeting a whole new person. Yeah, just, <laughs> Mark's like, <laughs> and then my parents got divorced when I was eleven, and we moved to Lunenburg, and you know, it was a much different life. And you never got to kill rabbits again. No. No. Skinning a rabbit is the easiest thing you'll ever do. It's like pulling off a sweater. It it's comes off like a sweater. It's the horrifying thing I've heard all month. You put, the minute you put your feet on its feet. I don't want more details. No, no, stop. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> you, know, you know he said he... Something more pleasant. Scallops, scallops, scallops. <laughs> you said he'd been kayaking away from the screams that sounded like babies. He'd been yes. doing that his whole life anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. ba-dum-dum-tsh. Oh, so. That was good. Oh. <laughs> that was good. So, so if there was a beaver... 
crying through starvation and mourning. Or if or it's a real it, child. Or his own <laughs> child. <laughs> his own child. It made no difference to Archie. This is the only <laughs> life I know. <laughs> but you, so you paddle away, but he didn't go back. Well, I feel like he was affected this time. Is this the moral of the story? Well, that he's, he's with Anaharia, who didn't grow up doing any of this and hasn't abandoned any children that we know of. Right. Yeah. So she's just like, this is horrible. <laughs> Um, so Anaharia begged him to set the mother free, but he could not be swayed from his position because they needed the money from the beaver's pelt. The next day, he went back for the baby. So, oh, I'm sorry. What? Yes? The babies have been... I'm trying to picture no, what's going on. No, so the babies are alive. They've taken the mother. They're going to kill oh, the mother, take her pelt. So I as see. a result, okay. the babies are totally going to die. They're just going to die. I understand. Them. I thought he had trapped a bunch of babies. And he's like, nope, they're just going to remain there until they die of starvation. No, no, no. <laughs> she's no, like, no, please no. put them out of the misery. No. Never. Just, no. <laughs> they're, okay. just, they're, just in the, they're just in the den. They're just, yeah. yeah. They're, they're just crying because yeah. their mother has been killed. Unless yeah, it's, it's a, a very film. Bambi situation. Well, they might get raised by rabbits and other animals like Disney. <laughs> yeah. Like, <sing laughs> That's songs. why he had the menagerie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, he goes back for the baby beaver, beavers and the couple adopts them. So oh, Anaharia oh. is like so distressed, which I will say, this is totally what happens when it's like an old man and he's like sugar baby. And she's just like, well, what about the babies? And so they adopt exotic animals. <laughs> and Fur he's babies. just like, will you just shut up? Will you just shut up if I let you have the babies? And I will she's get like, the baby beavers for you. She's like, okay, daddy. <laughs> 100% what she called him. So this experience led him to believe that hunting of any kind was immoral. So he's had this, like, come-to-God moment that, like, hunting is bad. Because she told him to. Because she was sad about it. Right. Which also is wow. not a good representation of indigenous lifestyles. Yeah. Like, I know he's, like, he's a huge for conservation. Yeah. and uh, But the, the idea that hunting right. of any kind is immoral. Well, although I talked about my dad, that was not for pure sport. Like, my dad eats all of the yeah, game yeah, yeah. that he kills. Like, oh, it's yeah. not, my dad doesn't do that for the pleasure of killing. Like he's very much like a grew up. No, like he grew up like with him and his dad and his dad's dad. Like this is just a thing that this is just a thing that they do. So like it never as a kid, like it was never to me as like, this was being mean to little baby animals. Like it was that this is like what, just what you do. This is the season for this. And then you make this and yeah. And like, respecting that and like, I think it's a huge part of a lot of first nations cultures in Canada that you have, this sense that effective hunting and proper hunting is part of the natural life cycle of the area. Like I know back home we have, we're like, we're overrun with moose because there was for a long time that just this flat out ban on hunting moose. And so they had to have a call for hunting moose and it was only Mi'kmaq people that were allowed to participate in the call, which was hilarious because there was this huge protest. Some white people protesting, they're like, how dare you hunt moose? And then other white people protesting alongside them who are like, how dare you let me not hunt the moose? (laughs) It's like, whoever thought this alliance would happen? (laughs) What a weird combination. I know. Welcome to our current political climate, which this is not a political podcast, so we will not get into it. But this, this, see, I will say, the CBC interviews were hilarious because there was just a one that'd be like interviewing some people and they're like, it's immoral. You shouldn't be hunting in national parks. Like da, 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 da. And then it would go to this next guy who clearly like pulled up on his like four wheeler and he's like, it is like suit. He's like, 
listen, we have no problem with hunting moose. <laughs> we just want to do it too. <laughs> but I guess like the indigenous, it was a kind of an element of stewardship, wasn't it? It was like take from the land, but also it, it is, yeah, it still is conserve and protect. Yeah, yeah absolutely, an element of stewardship for sure. But then yeah. he, but then he decided he knew better, and they shouldn't hunt at all. They shouldn't hunt at all because any kind of, of hunting is immoral, yeah. which is fine. You can have that perspective. It's just when you say you're an indigenous person and that you're representing like the yeah. indigenous way of life. <laughs> by fully misrepresenting what their philosophies yeah, yeah, exactly. are. <laughs> right. So Archie began writing about his life in the forest and about environmental conservation. His first published article being for the influential English magazine Country Life in 1929 and the next in 1934, Forest and Outdoors. So he's got a whole bunch of publications putting his articles out he's infamous um and this was brought out by the canadian forestry association so like they recognize that he can be used as a good media tool to bring attention to forestry when country life asked for a book he used the new name he had given to forest out and outdoors and the work appeared as the men of the last frontier by gray owl in uh, late 1931. So this is the first time he's officially using his pseudonym. And he named himself. He named himself, yeah. Uh, Does this seem like the type of guy who would name himself? Yes. He's naming (laughs) other people. Yeah. What he actually did is he rebranded. Right. Yes, he's he's going through a relaunch. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to be known for drinking and knife throwing anymore. (laughs) Well, actually, we can keep the knife throwing. That's pretty badass. (laughs) The focus group said that the owl owl is wise. So, you know, that's a good animal to associate with. (laughs) Right. There we go. And gray is just like a chill color. It's a neutral color. (laughs) There we go. We actually know why he called himself. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go. It it wasn't rebranded. No, Grace is going to tell you. So in the book, he explains like uh, kind of his valid concerns about the future of Canada and his forests. And he explains the story of the beaver pelt and how Anaharia had really helped him understand the need for conservation and protecting animals. Um, The choice for the name Gray Owl came easily since he had imitated the hoot of an owl since his boyhood days. (laughs) That's it. He should have just called himself Attic Snake. Where are all my mice? (laughs) (laughs) The publisher explained his author's background in a note in the book. His father was a Scot. His mother was an Apache Indian from New Mexico. And he was born somewhere in Rio Grande 40 odd years ago. (laughs) 40 odd. Yep. (laughs) That's his background. Roughly 40 years ago. And, it's like, and no questions. <laughs> Please do not ask any more questions. And he's ne- did say, and he's never been to Hastings. <laughs> and he's absolutely never been to Hastings once in his life. And he said, who's Hastings? <laughs> Archie was becoming... Uh, Very famous as Grey Owl, his articles had led to his appointment in the spring of 1931 as a conservation officer or a caretaker for park animals with the Department of the Interior's National Parks Branch at Riding Mountain National Park in Manitoba. After six months, he was transferred to Prince Albert National Park in Saskatchewan. During the Great Depression, a time when thousands of Canadians were thrown out of work, Archie managed to keep a job. He completed his next three books in the Prince Albert Park. The, quote, Beaver Man was known to live at Beaver Lodge. 
What an unfortunate nickname. Was it a, was it a Saudi? <laughs> Not a Saudi. Uh, it's, a, it's a log cabin that was roughly 18 by 20 feet. Um, the beavers that he and Anaharia had tamed built their dam uh, both inside and outside of the cabin. Shut up. So, so they had like a beaver family. <laughs> they had a beaver family. Wow. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> because they had, they made sure that there was like an underwater tunnel under what? the log cabin, what? so the beavers could like come and go as they pleased, what? which is kind of cool. That's, That's amazing. Actually, pretty this sick. Incredible. <laughs> this is his good this idea. This is some Narnia shit right no, here. No, this, this is a Disney film. Yeah, this is Seriously. talking beavers guiding you through your journey. <laughs> this is they just came come through the wardrobe, you know. Like and you'll see. I like to think they'd solve crimes together. <laughs> It's just the beavers in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like, the very, like, first part of the book. Did you just miss my joke? Oh, yeah. Yep, I did. I do Full that a lot. Over here, yeah. <laughs> Happens when there's two other people. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I surrender my joke to Linnea. She said it first. <laughs> I said it was some Narnia shit. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> that was a joke. That was it. And it was funny. If you want to email in. <laughs> Please email in. <laughs> we need a joint email now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, despite his Disney perfect life, uh, his consumption of alcohol at Prince Albert National Park created friction between himself and the park's branch as he was seen to, quote, indulge too freely in liquor. Where is quote. he getting all this booze? I mean, he was probably making it. Like, I guess. Well, I'm thinking, like, when you said that, you know, he went into the woods to survive by himself or with his his 19 <laughs> year old third wife or something. I don't know. <laughs> and and he couldn't make enough to live off of with the pelts. I'm thinking, like, you're you're living in the woods. You yeah. know, you've got a log cabin. You're hunting. You know how to hunt. What do you need to make Boots. a living for? Booze is oh, the first thought booze. that came to my mind. Right? Liquor, like, probably. Yeah. 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 I bet that, the. I bet the. Uh, advantageous 19 year old though taught him how to make some moonshine potentially yeah, yeah maybe that was the end but it's just, also, it's also <laughs> he's i mean he's had a traumatic childhood yeah he's he's probably got some sounds form like a fun childhood <laughs> race, but he's, he's probably got some form of ptsd from world war one yep definitely and an injury that reminds him every day of the horrors of war oh yeah, yeah. non-stop trench foot yeah. non-stop <laughs> trench foot Welcome to history, Reese. <laughs> and yeah he's living in the woods in this kind of idyllic uh, you know, cabin living sol- with the beavers, sol- solving, be- solving crimes in a van with beavers. I just can't help but imagine he's living, but like just in the woods. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. ever like the freeways right there. But I guess the, al- the alcohol is part of that kind of what he's been through in life. I guess. Yeah, I think that alcohol is definitely like a coping mechanism. There could yeah. also be some kind of genetic disposition to it given that his father did the exact yeah, yeah. same thing. He could also just like it. So his excessive alcohol consumption constantly threatened Grail's position in the Dominion Parks branch in Ottawa. He was supposed to meet a group of important governmental officials at the studio of Yusef Karsh who had organized a dinner in his honor. However, as the dinner began, Grail was absent. Mm. Karsh later found him, quote, raising a drunken row in the bar, end quote. <laughs> his public display... Raising a drunken row. <laughs> Like a, yeah, the old piano and knife act. Do you want to hear about my dad? It's dork. This public 
display of a Parks Branch employee drunk in public caused James Harkin to have to defend Grayell's position within the Parks Branch to the Assistant Deputy Minister Roy A. Gibson. You know what that all sounded like to me? The whole like not showing up for like an event that you were supposed to be at is John A. When they, he was yeah. supposed to sign the uh, the Constitution. The Constitution. And he shows up months late. Three months <laughs> later. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was October. <laughs> I thought it's is this, not. Is this John A. Yeah. as Jack Sparrow again? Is this, <laughs> it's Linnea as oh, John I, A. Oh, or as was, Jack Sparrow as John Johnny A. Depp as Keith Richards combined <laughs> with Le Lefeu as Jack Sparrow as uh, Archie Bellini as Grey Owl as Sir Johnny McDonald. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> This podcast is just inception. It's only layers. <laughs> we can go deeper. <laughs> so from his publications and films that the National Parks branch had made with him and the beaver, Grey Owl became widely known in Canada and overseas. His popularity in Britain was phenomenal. So they love him over there. <laughs> they just love him. Horatio Dixon, a Canadian who had a thriving publishing firm in London, brought out his second book, Pilgrims of the Wild by Grey Owl. In 1934, in the story of how, thanks to Anahario's influence, he had become a conservationist. The following year, his children's book appeared, The Adventures of Sajo and Her Beaver People. <laughs> oh, my God. See, you, you beat me to it. <laughs> Her Beaver People? Her Beaver People. And it was a bestseller, ladies and gentlemen. Of course. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> I, I read it to my kids last night. <laughs> How is it? I love reading about Sajo's beaver. Well, her beaver people. Oh, her beavers. Yeah. <laughs> Not just her beaver. Not just hers. Her peoples. And they beavers. <laughs> All of their beavers. Oh, my God. <laughs> At Dickens' invitation, he made a tour of Britain in late 1935 and early 1936. Did you say Dickens' invitation? So Horatio Dickens is the publisher. Oh, wait, wait. I was yeah. like, Charles Dickens? Not, not that Charles Dickens, <laughs> no. Like, There's only one Dickens. <laughs> that dude's dead. That dude's long dead. <laughs> Whoa. I think. Oh, what about his kid? Well, his, Remember, his, we know him. Yeah, his kid does make an appearance in one of our episodes. Yeah. He, was a, he loves books. Yeah, he was like a, an agent with the Northwest Mounted Police. Yeah. Charles, Charles Dickens' Dickens son? son? Yeah. Hubert Dickens? <laughs> not, no. not Carl Hubert. Dickens. Carl Dickens, right. So a yeah. way less popular one. <laughs> yeah. Carl Dickens. The one that he sent to Canada to just like get away from him. <laughs> yeah, basically. Thanks to his publisher's uh, promotional skills and the attraction of the message of the modern Hiawatha, which I guess is the people. Okay. Uh, the four-month trip the proved <laughs> the beaver people. The four-month trip proved extremely successful. In his lectures, accompanied by his films, he told his audiences about the vast northern forests and their human and animal inhabitants. His overriding theme was quote: "Remembering you belong to nature, not to it, not it to you." Okay. So that's a good you know, message. It's yeah, nice. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. That is nice. It's lovely. It doesn't really, like, mean anything, right. but, you know, it's nice. It's a nice message. Alcohol was still a major vice in Archie's oh, good. life. Sure. <laughs> On the ship back to Canada from his 1935 British tour, it was noted that he drank heavily, ate only onions, and was noticeably ill. What? I wonder what why. What? I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. How many times, Reese, have you and I just gotten to the bottle 
and just like, oh my god, I could really use a fucking onion right now, <laughs> like an apple, just uh, just like. That's right? my health kick after Christmas. That's January a- the first, just onions till February. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new keto diet. It's just onions. You'll smell awful, <laughs> and uh, and probably lose some weight. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> my own sweat makes me cry. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. But also, I would just like to highlight that this is on a trip from Britain to North America. That's like a long boat ride. It's going to be like three or four weeks. To be just eating onions. onions. And they're like, there's other food. And he's like, no, not not for this guy. Maybe he was a picky eater. (laughs) I like that he's picky, but like onions is his (laughs) go-to. That's all I like on the buffet, so. (laughs) Just raw onions. His triumph in Britain brought him more publicity back home. One of his grandest moments in Canada was his talk in 1936 at the Toronto Book Fair. On the evening of November 9th, the tall, hawk-faced man, dressed in buckskins and wearing his long hair and braids, addressed a capacity crowd of 1,700 people at the King Edward Hotel. It's like a huge crowd. It's a huge crowd. It's a big audience for Mr. Grail. (laughs) He had just published his fourth and final book, Tales of an Empty Cabin. I thought it was going to be a cooking book about that. Whoa! Whoa, guys, guys, I just had a revelation. Okay. Okay. He's gray owl and like owls eat mice and he was like the keep maybe he was eating all the mice. Potentially. It wasn't the snake. He's blaming the snake. He's blaming the snake, <laughs> but it was him. It was really Now him. we know why his rampant alcoholism was a thing. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. That's and fun. why he thinks like onions are great. Or He's like, have you ever tried <laughs> not eating mice? <laughs> <laughs> it's delectable. <laughs> Yeah, like literally anything. He's, go down. he's only been it's eating like, mice this entire time, and then suddenly, finally, someone's like, "Try literally anything else at all," and hands him an onion. He's like, "This is amazing!" Holy <laughs> shit! Is this how the other half lives? <laughs> What's it called? I don't care. It's not mice. <laughs> From that moment on, I never ate another mouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's his fifth book. <laughs> Why was it called the Empty Cabin? Had ever, had the beavers and his wife left him. Or? I'm really not sure, but it sounds sad. It sounds like. Yeah. It's a, he's an empty nester. Um, oh, well, tales from an empty cabin. Tales from so an empty cabin. I know. The oh. fair's organizers had to turn away more than 500 people at the door. Inside, the champion of the Canadian wilderness argued in his deep and thrilling voice, quote, Canada's greatest asset today is her forest lands. In my latest book, I have attacked the average Canadian's ignorance of his own country. He is prouder of skyscrapers on Young Street and the price of hogs. He can. <laughs> they are exorbitant. <laughs> How many times have I complained about the price of hogs? <laughs> there goes Jesse on his fucking hog rant again. Oh my God, will you ever shut up? <laughs> uh, he can have those. <laughs> Sorry, I just now have a picturing a pig with like an onion in its mouth. <laughs> He can have those any time, but he, we can't replace the natural resources we are destroying as fast as we can. In Canada, Grey Owl pleaded there was no longer an overabundance of wild country and wildlife. He called for an end to the plundering of the country's hinterland. The price of fame was high. Although the birth of their daughter, Shirley Dawn, in August of 1932 had brought much happiness to him. Another kid. Kid number four. So this is kid number four, but at least he's like around for this one. 
Okay. For, for a while, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, the relationship deteriorated as his mission as a who, conservationist who, who, became who all-consuming. Uh, sorry for interrupting. Who did he get pregnant? Was it? it so this is Anaharia. Oh, so she, is, same one. Stuck around. Yeah, so they never okay. get married, but they are like... like I just assumed partners. like Tales from an Empty Cabin kind of insinuated like at yeah. some uh, point. The well, man's also a liar. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> well, it gets empty. Well, his young wife, anxious to have a full life of her own, found his new sedentary ways and his constant writing excessive. Frictions constant cr- writing? Constant writing. She has the weakest complaint against him, to be honest. Yeah. It's like, you're writing all the time. But this is what happens when you marry someone who's 18 years younger than you. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's so successful. He's got so many number one published books. I hate it. Oh, I God. just want to go to All Canada's this Wonderland. money. Just- <laughs> That he spends on booze (laughs) and renamed me. You think she gets any of that money? I don't. The real complaint was the onions. (laughs) She's like, I really just can't do this anymore. Frictions increased and they separated in 1936 after his first British tour. Later that year, he married Yvonne Perrier, a French-Canadian woman from Ottawa. She accompanied him on his second and final tour of Britain in late 1937. It lasted three months and included a royal command performance at Buckingham Palace. Wow. He followed his trip with He's a- really a, quite a ladies' man. Like, he could just, he's like, oh, that marriage is over. Next. It's just, Next. It's amazing. I got a question. You know when he did the performances, was he, was he, do, he I'm guessing he wasn't doing it in a British accent. He was putting on- an estimation of an indigenous yeah, accent. Yeah, he's he's doing his best to be like Canadian. So I think I think people liked him and they welcomed him because he was approachable to right. their sensibilities. Right. Because he's not indigenous, but he's like seems like he's, he's like just exotic enough right. for them. Is he being looked at kind of like a spectacle? Um, um, or are they actually interested in what he has to say? Or is it like, ooh, it's like this I'm sure it's a combination of guy. both. Like, was, like, he, was he selling t-shirts afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> Did he have merch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stuffed gray owls. Exactly. You can buy. Little plush onions. <laughs> Glowing wands for kids. <laughs> Throwing knives <laughs> on display. <laughs> you can buy his first record. His piano recordings. <laughs> um... So the pioneer environmentalist devoted all of his physical and emotional strength to his mission by the end of his life. At the beginning of April 1938, he returned to Beaver Lodge totally exhausted. Only three days later, he had to be rushed to the hospital. Too weak to resist what was a mild case of pneumonia, he died on the 13th of April at the age of 49. He was buried uh, near his cabin on Ajawan Lake. The Toronto Globe and Mail, in its obituary on the 14th of April, April termed Grey Owl the quote most con- most famous of Canadian Indians end quote. The media on two continents had accepted without question his romantic story of his origins. Then the bombshell dropped. Yeah. So Angel, she's coming out of the woods. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Claiming that she was his legal wife uh-huh. and that he was English. Uh huh. <laughs> Revenge, yes. right at the end. Angel, <laughs> tell it. And then he couldn't even defend himself because he was dead. Yeah, right? he was dead. That's that's when you make claims. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Furthermore, although she had not seen him for several years, uh, she is the one who winds up inheriting most of his estate because she's the legal wife. Yep. Right. 
In the weeks after his death, swift detective work on both sides of the Atlantic revealed Grey Owl's true identity. He had no North American ancestry at all. So the most famous Canadian Indian was really just Archie Bellany, born of the son of English parents and raised in the seaside town of Hastings. Amazing. And that's the story of Grey Owl. That's the story of (laughs) Archie Hastings, a.k.a. Grey Owl, a.k.a. Jack, Jack Sparrow, Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> a.k.a. Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp. <laughs> a.k.a. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> uh, How'd you like it? That was amazing. <laughs> it's a hell of a... I can see what they made a film about it, but you said yeah. it was a bad film. Imagine if someone made a good film. I'm just going to quickly look up that the IMDb. doesn't happen in Canada recently. Well, I was also <laughs> going to say, I don't think we... I don't know how well a film about Grey Owl would do not right now, well. anyway. Was, yeah. No, I think... But not even not expose him as... as if you, focus on the bad parts of his story. I think he's very much the protagonist of the story, so right. I don't think it shows or really emphasizes... Well, let's look at his points. So, A, alcoholic. <laughs> B, shitty father. C, a hell of a conservationist. D, a great liar. Just, just I was going to say, and E, a great lay, apparently. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering about Angel. Like, I don't know much about her, but she seems She's a compelling. little crazy. Yeah. You know? Oh, oh, hon, but the baby beavers. No, no, we're gonna. No, that's we're not gonna... Angel. That's not Angel. That's on a Hario. No, that's on a Hario. Uh, too many, too, too many wives. Too many wives. Yeah. Yeah. Too many yeah. wives. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Angel. That's why he had to rename them. Yeah. Because he was just like, I'm never gonna remember this. So, sweetheart, if we're gonna be together, your name's Anna Hario from now on. <laughs> so I've I've looked up Grey Owl. It has it has six out of ten on IMDb. Okay. Uh, but it has seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my god. So I got a feeling modern our audiences don't take particularly yeah, well to this I, I was, This was made like in the early 90s, it looks like. Yeah. Yes, it came out in 1999, so later than oh, I thought. Oh, wow, 90s. Yeah, yeah. Later that's than later thought. than, uh, so he was 007 before this. So yeah. he owed someone a favor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but, sure did. But maybe it was a passion project. Maybe it was like an Oscar bait. Like, what yeah, if he yeah, thought, yeah, like, yeah, what yeah, if I play it. this? Like, you that's know, Last totally of Mohicans had come out, yeah, you know. He's just like, what if I could just follow this guy's footsteps no, exactly and also is. play yeah. an indigenous person? <laughs> I, would, I would like to see this film remade by Wes Anderson. Oh my God, oh. right? <laughs> oh my God. That would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> That'd be a movie. I Just the like the weird quirks that he has, like yeah, yeah. eating onions exactly. on the ship. Yeah. Just him on the front of a ship eating an onion, looking at <laughs> shot on like a you know in like a really. Fl- but they, they never explain it. No, yeah. no, exactly. like Brad Pitt yeah. in in um, Ocean's Eleven, where he's always eating in every single shot, but just have Pierce Brosnan. Just always eating an onion, onions. always eating an onion, and no one ever talks about it or explains yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Just it's just doing it. Or maybe it could be more like Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox, and he is a gray owl. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> you so can they, call me Wes. So they would just holding an onion, talking to someone, going, oh, chewing it up, and then going. and also like whoever is playing him which it's going to be Johnny Depp uh, it's like method acting so he has to eat an actual onion of course that's what he would do can't be a fake prop onion that's carved out of an apple did Johnny Depp purposely contract COVID-19 to lose his sense of taste so he could play (laughs) Grey Owl in the new film Grey Owl (laughs) so Reese, what did you think of your first Canadian Heritage Minute well, cherry popping. The I, I'll be honest, I didn't get a lot for that minute, but the following hour of talking about it, I did learn a lot. 
Like so, I said, the Harajuku Minute failed. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but that's what I think. The Harajuku Minute is a tease. They give you a little tickle to, find, to get your interest. Yeah. And, then, yeah. um, and then you go and do the research yourself. That's what I imagine it is. I think that was the dream. So yeah. we're really fulfilling the Canadian dream we right are. now. We that's, are that's the Canadian say. dream. <laughs> <laughs> you embody the dream. Canadian dream. I noticed Jesse didn't weave his story in seamlessly. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, no, there was where, at what point could I have done that? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much to our very special guests from Canadian Politics is Boring who joined us today. It was a great way to close out our season two. Thanks uh, so much for having us. Oh, yeah. No, it was wonderful. It was great. For all those of you who aren't following us on our social media platforms, what are you doing? Please do. <laughs> we are on Instagram and Facebook at Minute Women Podcast. And we are on Twitter at The Minute Women. We also have a really fantastic website that has all of our episodes, including all of the uh, background information that Grace uses for research. So all of those sources are all on the website as well. Very easy that, to find. Did you hear that? <laughs> Sorry. Stop interrupting their outro. This isn't, meant so to be a, this isn't meant to be a flex. <laughs> <laughs> and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. Uh, because we're going to be gone next week because it is our kind of like week off. But then we'll be back for season three. So you better subscribe so you know when to tune in next. And make sure you rate the podcast, review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. Please. The mythic algorithm of the internet has decided that's the most important thing in the world. So if you're an Apple Podcast user, please leave us a review. It's the biggest support to us. And yeah, thank you to Canadian Politics is Boring, boring for joining us. Do you guys have any like handles or like it's like um, where they can find you? Uh, just just around <laughs> on the corner just, just shout it out of a window <laughs> well thank you Reese and Jesse so much this was really really fun it was yeah. lovely it was thank you so much for having us yeah, yeah. thank you <laughs>